Hello, hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to The View from the Lane, our brand new Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. In this, our second ever episode. My name is Jack Pitbrook, I cover Spurs for The Athletic and host this podcast. Today I'm joined by James Moore and Tottenham correspondent Charlie Eccleshare. It has been another historic week for Spurs, the first full week of the Jose Mourinho era. He won his second game against Olympiacos on Tuesday night 4-2, and then on Saturday he won his third game as manager 3-2 again against Bournemouth at home. Charlie, you were there for us. How was it? Saturday was good. I mean, it was similar to the West Ham game in that uh, started very well. And um, well, actually, they started first sort of, 10 or 15 minutes, not great, but they were 3 0 up and it all looked hunky dory. And then Bournemouth pulled a couple of goals back and could have got a third actually in stoppage time. It required a last ditch Jan Vertonghen tackle. So good, but with plenty of room for improvement, I would say. James, what do you think? I mean, I'd echo what Charlie said there. There were definite similarities. I wondered whether perhaps in in focusing on a defensive shape, maybe they sat a little bit deep, which against Bournemouth is maybe fine in that they're not the most dangerous team on the attack, but also they are a team who are kind of full of players who are willing to have a go from distance. That Mm. Obviously, I mean, it was a free kick they scored from in the end. Uh, but it, uh, certainly an attacking improvement rather than a defensive improvement, I'd say, which is perhaps not what we actually would have expected from uh, the first week of Jose Mourinho. Yeah, Spurs have conceded six goals in their first three games under Mourinho, which is, you know, against three teams who are not especially good. Is this something that we should be worried by? Do you think this is like a legacy problem from Pochettino of defenders playing badly, like the, how hard it is to imprint a kind of defensive shape on players when you arrive in the middle of the season, which, of course, is something that Mourinho has never done before? Yeah, and I think as sorry, I think as well the fact that he's had very few training sessions, uh, you know, three games in a week. That it's quite hard to really get your shape sorted in such a short space of time. So, I think maybe we were expecting a kind of instant improvement uh, defensively, but there are still definitely issues there that I think will take a while. I mean, we probably knew that it was a, a, a squad that had more strength going forward than it did defensively. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably been borne out by what we've seen over the last twelve months in the Premier League. So. Uh, as, as Charlie kind of says, you expect that defensive work is going to take a, a little bit of time. But what's probably the most encouraging thing is that those attacking players have almost immediately kind of clipped back into gear, and the movement just looks so much more fluid again. There are smiles on faces, which uh, you know isn't really a big deal in, in in real terms, but I think it kind of makes a bit of a difference in the whole vibe of the place. Uh, and obviously, they're scoring goals, which, uh, from what I understand, is actually quite good in, in a football game. <laughs> they could have scored a lot more as well. I mean, they had a lot of chances. They probably also could have conceded more, but you know, they, they were still going for the fourth goal kind of in the second half when yeah. they could have just sat off and tried to protect the lead. Yeah, they could have scored more against West Ham as well. Mm-hmm. Like Even though that game finished 3-2, Spurs were so dominant in the second half that they could easily have run away with it 4-0 or 5-0. And it would have actually been a fairer reflection of the pattern of, of the overall play than the 3-2 scoreline. Um, two guys who came into the team, I think, for the first time under Mourinho were Vertonghen and Ndombele on Saturday. How do you think they did? Yeah, I was. I thought they were both fine. I mean, Sissoko was kind of the one who really seemed to energise the team, I thought. In the, um, is that in the kind of like Lucas Moura role? Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of nominally inside right um, giving some strength in midfield and also sort of compensating for Aurier just bombing forward. Uh, and Dombele was good, though. I mean, you know, some nice touches. Uh, he wasn't as influential, I didn't think, as some of his other games, maybe not as eye-catching. Uh, and Vertonghen did that job well. I mean, if they are going to play this way of a kind of lopsided defence with Aurier bombing forward on the right and then the left-back 
kind of dropping in to form a, a central a, a sort of three at the back when Spurs have the ball, then Vertonghen you think is more suited to that uh, than Danny Rose, uh, and he and he did it. He did it fine. Um, you know, he, he doesn't offer as much going forward as Rose, but then Son is kind of doing enough on his own up that flank. Yeah, and Vertonghen played on the left of the three back in the sort of Pochino peak season, didn't he? Yeah. 2016-17. Yeah. And given that he also plays left back for Belgium, he should be able to. I mean, I know Vertonghen isn't as quick as he used to be, but he should nevertheless be able to cover that space quite effectively. Yeah. He's probably less exposed in this system to, to kind of being exposed for pace than he would have been in, like on the left of a flat back four, you'd probably say, yeah. given there's another centre back there and also a player out on the left as well. It kind of does give him a bit more protection. And Son actually is so diligent. I mean, even though he, you know, he's doesn't, I, I don't know what the instructions were against Bournemouth at home, but it seemed as though, you know, he was tracking back a huge amount. Which, given he's there to be a kind of attacking outlet and Vertonghen do more of the defending, I thought that was really impressive. And I expect he'll be asked to do even more of that on Wednesday night. What do you think about Ndombele? Because Ndombele doesn't really strike me naturally as being a Mourinho player. I love watching Ndombele. I think he's incredibly raw and exciting. And I love the way that he always drives forward and he tries things and he does like ridiculous turns in his own half. Mm. And he runs into trouble, then spins out of it. Like he, he is incredibly fun to watch, and he's a very, very exciting player to have on the pitch. But if you look at the kind of things that Mourinho likes in a central midfielder, I don't really, I don't really see that he provides them. Yeah, I mean Mourinho, Mourinho is obviously like the arch pragmatist, and there's probably only space for what, maybe two risk takers in yeah. in his team. I think if you look at any of his iconic teams, you probably you probably find that was the case. So. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna, if he's gonna continue playing Deli Ali as a number ten, and you probably would have him down as a as a risk taker with the ball, which he needs to be in that position. Uh, is there gonna be space for someone like Ndombele playing behind him? I mean, that that's a pretty big question very early on for a player who probably in the first few weeks of the season was among, or if not, the best player at the club in terms of performances. To suddenly then kind of have question marks over whether or not he's gonna be in a team. Obviously, it's very early days. Unless he plays in more advanced, which I was thinking he might do uh, against Bournemouth. So, you know, have a couple of players in behind him and give him a bit more of a platform rather than being part of a two, because that does feel risky. And I'd be very surprised if uh, Old Trafford say he went with uh, Darren and Dombele as a two. Yeah. yeah. How would how would that work then if he was playing? Would that be instead of Deli Ali? do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, either instead of Ali or even potentially instead of Sissoko in that kind of nominal inside right yeah. position and moving That's true, field. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, I don't think necessarily is a regular situation, but, you know, as an option in, in certain home games. I'm quite interested to see whether we might see this entire formation completely inverted and, and uh, the left-sided defender becomes the attacking player mm. and the right back is, uh, it would be Alderweireld or... Or a Foyth. I guess maybe or Foyth as well, yeah. Uh, and then you can flip that entire thing and then how that would line up because you would think there probably will be games where where he'll want or need to do that, you know, depending on injuries or fitness or whatever else. So would that be something you might do if, for example, Aurier was injured so you didn't have an attacking right wing back, but you did have, say, like, Sessegnon, for example. Or, or even Danny Rose. Yeah, who could do an equivalent of that job on the left-hand side. Yeah. And then you just kind of flip the whole team around. So you'd have a, a right winger, presumably Lucas, or perhaps Isoko, pulling far out on the right, providing the width, whereas Son would be more kind of inside with the left kind of effective left wing back attacking outside of him. I mean, you can certainly see. I mean, I think if you had come to me two weeks ago and presented me with those two options, I would have probably gone for that one rather than yeah. the one we've actually seen. But uh, clearly, it's working quite well. Or yeah. you move, or you just move Son to the right and ask him to do the job he's been doing on the left, yeah. on the right. 
Yeah, you could you could definitely see him doing that. Um, one feature from the other day was Toby Alderweireld's long balls from the back, contributing to two of the goals. This is something that we've seen in the past from Toby. I remember back when Toby first showed up, those kind of long diagonal balls out yeah. to the wing backs, particularly when Spurs played a sort of three four two one. But a couple, a a couple of a couple of long balls to Deli Ali that led to goals as well. Mm. I definitely yeah. remember one at Goodison. Yeah, there was the one maybe, at Everton. Maybe one at West yeah, Brom yeah, as well. Completely. So it, it has always been a part of Toby's game and something that he's really really good at. But obviously with Pochettino. Generally, it was more about like building up slowly through the back, playing through the thirds, getting um, getting everybody a touch on the ball rather than just going quite as direct as this. Mm. Do you think, I mean, also given the changes we've seen, for example, in Gazaniga's distribution going long a lot more than he ever used to do under Pochettino, do you think this kind of like, for, for want of a better phrase, route one style is something is something that Mourinho's going to rely on? Well, he, he was asked about it after the game and he said it was a kind of specific tactic against Bournemouth, something they'd been working on because they thought it was something they could exploit. So, But I kind of feel you, you would say that because you don't want to uh, kind of reveal too much and say, yeah, this is something we're definitely working on. But he's certainly not afraid to do it. You know, I don't think if they identify a team as having that weakness going forward, he's not going to worry about the aesthetics or... You know, worried that it it sacrifices a principle in the way that maybe Pochettino would, because I think he he is pragmatic, and that means you know doing whatever it takes in specific matches to win. So I I think it's something we will see. What was Jose like afterwards? Was he how was this your first kind of Mourinho press conference experience? Yeah, I mean he was he was pretty subdued to be honest on Saturday. Uh, you know, he's he really is pushing this. It's not about me line, which you know I think we'll find out how true that is maybe even as early as Wednesday. Um, but, you know, he it's easy to be humble, isn't it, when you've won a game and, you know, you started well. Um, so he, you know, he didn't he didn't need to be bigging himself up too much. Um, but, yeah, I think he's he's obviously really pleased with how it's gone. And I do think he is genuinely quite enjoying himself. Yeah, I, th- I think he's enjoying it hugely. I also think his, like, I am so humble thing is totally hilarious. Um, just because he's not like he's Jose Mourinho. We anyone who knows anything about Mourinho knows that this is this is not the he is not the person he is pretending to be at the moment. Like at his um, his unveiling press conference, I think he said variations of "I am humble" like five separate times, and that's one of those things. It's like saying "I am modest." Like as soon as you say, <laughs> yeah. as so, literally as soon as you say it, it ceases to be true. Like it cannot you cannot describe yourself in that way. And even on the um, after the Olympiacos game in the post match press conference, he. He started one answer with, it's not about me, it's not about me. And then by the end of the answer, he was saying, this is my 80th win in the Champions League. Let's go for 81 next time. Um, In the same press conference, he'd also talked about how he'd been a really good ball boy in his youth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite a good uh, sort of, uh, you know, line in humility. And then, like, worst of all, like, in the, um, so the new arrangement at at the new Spurs stadium in the press conference, they have... They allow in certain Spurs fans. I think it's fans who have bought tickets through Tunnel Club or yeah, yeah. like the most expensive seats in the ground. They allow like ten of them into the into the press conference, and you know I get why they do that because it's a nice experience for the fans. But they were like clapping and cheering yeah. and laughing at Mourinho's comments, which like added an air of uh, everybody thinks you're hilarious, Jose, mm. to this press conference, which I think was kind of like inappropriate because it is a place of work and also uh only serves to kind of uh like increase Mourinho's sense of like I am so good at this yeah I, I am playing the people completely as a the- theatrical element had there been fans in the press conferences previously or is that like a new thing I yeah know it's, it's, not, it's not a new Jose thing it's a new it's a new stadium yeah press sorry, I mean but had that had that been in place last season 
Yes, I think so. Okay. But th- th- this was the first time that like they'd gone in determined to like cheer and laugh along with Mourinho. Yeah, I've, I'd never noticed it before. It kind of goes to show like the contrast of having Mourinho in that job now because it's like everything he does is an event, everything he does mm. is a performance. And there's, um, there's, I think this is gonna, I think it's gonna help Tottenham get over Pochettino. Is this sense that like it's now the Jose show, as much as he might pretend that it isn't, it is. It's quite interesting. If you were to go back in time twelve months and compare Mourinho to Pochettino and their demeanours, yeah, you'd say that Pochettino is far more sort of friendly and open and jovial than Mourinho, who by that stage had kind of descended into his <laughs> hotel dwelling misery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Manchester United, but actually. And it may all be an affectation. You're probably right, but his his demeanour at the club has felt so. It felt like it's really lifted the club. Definitely, all his like, you know, yeah. shaking hands with ball boys and laughing and joking, and whatever else. Yeah, the, and and this is like one of the main reasons why I think that certainly in the in the sort of medium term, Mourinho will be really really successful at Spurs because he's taken an atmosphere that, for all the reasons that we know, had gone a bit stale, a bit toxic, a bit sour. And simply through force of personality, he's transformed that. And lots of players, this is something that I'm writing a piece about this week, lots of players who've worked incredibly hard but won nothing under Pochettino will look at this guy who come, who's come in having won everything in every job he's been at with the exception of Manchester United. And they'll think, Christ, like I've got a, you know, I'm really energised and enthused to go and play well for this guy now. And that has totally changed the whole atmosphere. And he's saying really nice things about them in public, which, yeah. you know, it's a simple thing, but who doesn't like to hear that? And, and I think that did go a little bit, you know, certainly the, this season. Yeah. You'd rarely hear Pochettino talking about players in that way. Yeah, Pochettino never liked, he didn't really like talking about individuals that much in press conferences. Whenever you'd ask him about an individual, mm. he'd always say, oh, the team's important. Whereas Mourinho is very willing to, like, analyse and analyse and discuss his players' form and their position and their tactical benefit and what they can do for the team. Whereas Pochino hates that kind of... He never really liked those kind of questions. I think because he saw them as a little bit of a challenge to his decisions. Mm. Um, and that's some, this brings us on to, to Deli Ali, who was, I think, the player who's benefited the most from the Mourinho era. Uh, he's got three goals in three games, two assists. But that doesn't really tell the whole story because he, he looks so much more energised and involved and motivated. And basically like the good old Deli Ali of like 2015, 16, 16, 17, where he was getting all those goals and assists. And it's kind of a joy to watch. Yeah, he looks a completely different player. And and I think with that as well, with, with Mourinho, one of his great skills is kind of identifying the players that maybe would benefit most from from that praise and, you know, from being bigged up. And, you know, some players don't need that so much, others do. And it felt like Ali was at a point where, you know, he that you know, he'd been dropped by England and, you know, people were questioning him and said, you know, he that that bizarre kind of rant on Sky Sports, you know, where it said, you know, he was wasn't focused and all of this. So mm-hmm. I think Mourinho identified him, and he's he just looks so much more happy and relaxed, and he's got that mischief back. You know, that's when Ali's back is when he's a bit naughty and kind of trying stuff, and he could have scored three or four on the weekend. Some of his in the Olympiacos game and the uh, Bournemouth game, some of his like touches in the penalty mm. area, like just the ball was like stuck to his feet, and it kind of felt like it was like the sort of playground Deli Ali that yeah. you hadn't yeah. seen for a couple of years, really. It's like everything had almost kind of become a bit too serious for him. Yeah, there was and one. Now, thought... now it was like he was playing with that sort of devilment and that cheeky grin that you hadn't really seen, maybe even since Spurs left White Hart Lane. It just felt like yeah, it's starting to feel more like Deli Ali again. Yeah, I, there's definitely a tactical element to that, I think, and I think we're going to talk in a minute about his, his positional tweak. Yeah, but yeah he just first... looks so much more comfortable playing like right up with Harry Kane than he, than he does sort of playing so much deeper and getting involved in all the sort of. Midfield melee. He 
he can just do more damage to teams and be far more effective the further up the pitch. Yeah, there was this moment in the first half where he had it in the box. He was just doing like stepovers, and he didn't really go anywhere. But it didn't really matter. It just it looked like he was just kind of taking the piss a little bit, and you know, sowed the seed of doubt in the defenders. That was after he scored, and you could see he's just so buoyed and he's enjoying it. Like he'd never have done that, I don't think, in the last few months under no, Pochettino. No. Like no way. Yeah, I think his. I mean, obviously his confidence is transformed, uh, and that is why he's trying all this stuff. But I think that his confidence being transformed is itself a function of his new role under Jose, which is much closer to the like traditional classic Ali role yeah. of basically being a sort of second striker, call it what you want, but like a final third player. He's being asked to do the things that he loves doing yeah, rather than like, all this other yeah, hard like, work and stuff. Well, not hard work. Um, get the ball in between the lines, play the final pass, get in the box, get on the end of things, try things in possession, which is like what we saw back when he was at his best, rather than the kind of Ali of the last two years who's asked to kind of like fill it in the middle, like hold hands with Winks and Sissoko for a bit and... It's just like he, he, you know, he's a fantastic player, but that's not really his game in the middle of the pitch, and that's why it's been so good to see. Although the interesting thing that James and I were discussing off air before, Southgate came out earlier and was talking, you know, was asked about what he makes Valley's form, and and Southgate said, yeah, Jose's played him as a number ten, and that's his best position. That's been very clear for a long time. Now, of course, that's true. Like we all know that that is Ali's best position. But it's not where Southgate played him in the 2018 World Cup, where Southgate played him in the midfield in a 4-3-3. And Ali wasn't very good. I mean, it's like Southgate's words are not really matching up with Southgate's I mean, actions. I suppose, it. in a way, it's a frank admission that he doesn't want a number 10 on his team. And James yeah. Madison has kind of found that to his cost this season as well, hasn't he? Completely, yeah, yeah. And I do think that, like, there is an England future for Ali if he keeps playing this well. But I think, ultimately, I don't like as good as Ali is right now, I don't think Southgate should junk the 4-3-3 just yeah. to squeeze Ali back in. I think Ali is a fantastic man to throw on with like 20, 30 minutes left in the game if they want to change from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-4. But anyway, this isn't an England podcast. Let's get back to Tottenham. Uh, Manchester United away on Wednesday night. Uh, probably the biggest test in the Mourinho era so far. Like They've had three games against teams who are not very good and uh, easy to play against, open, bad at defending. They've scored lots of goals. Now they're playing against Manchester United. How are they going to approach it? Well, we were talking about this before as well. And I was saying, I think that there is this misconception that Mourinho is inherently a defensive manager and this was uh, the subject of the zonal marking podcast very interesting we recommend listening to that episode and he's not but i think in big games he does tend to be um it's very rare that he will try and overwhelm a team uh, in a big game in the way that he would maybe in another match so i'd be very surprised if he didn't approach this defensively and i think this will be a real test of you know how how attacking or otherwise he wants Tottenham to be because it's it's fine doing it against Bournemouth and West Ham and I, I think if he went to Old Trafford and really believed in this Tottenham side because I think they are they're a lot better yeah. than United so I think United are there to be got at but I suspect he will err on the side of caution yeah he's not going to have them all fired up in the in the changing room before the game and, and send them out in the first 10 minutes to bloody a few noses and try and get themselves in front it's going to be keep the ball be patient yeah. You know, and as much as everyone is saying, and rightly so, that he's going to be desperate to win, he's going to be even more desperate not to lose. Mm. That's true, yeah. And I do think that like he will know that United's best threat is the pace of Rashford, James and Martial in behind on the break. And that means that the one thing you shouldn't do is push too high up the pitch and get killed in behind. Yeah. So I think for that reason, he will be very, very cautious. Kind of low block defence, wait for United to make a mistake. Probably on the base, and probably think that United are more likely to make a mistake before Tottenham do. Like you know, Tottenham have better players, are better coached than United are. United have got this. Wit- you know, United are terrible at the moment. Like mm. they've just drawn yeah. three all with Sheffield United, two all with Aston Villa. They they lost in Astana. 
Like now is a fantastic time to play United. I, I think exactly that, and I, and I wrote my piece from the weekend that like it, you know it's one thing playing Aurier in this kind of right wing fullback hybrid position against weaker teams, but do you back him to do that when you've got potentially Rashford, Martial, James, all kind of they will all at one time or another move over to that flank to to try and exploit that. That's a great point, and that's why. I wonder whether he might do it slightly differently and perhaps you know, perhaps play with a more attacking left-back instead of a more attacking right-back or perhaps not play Aurier because you know we know that Aurier sometimes loses his mind a bit when under pressure. Whether he might go for... Because you know, the one thing Mourinho is always happy to do is come up with a, a specific solution mm. for, for a specific opponent. Um, and it would be cool to see if he might try something a little bit different to try and stop United's strengths on, in that game. It's interesting because Spurs have got... Traditionally had a terrible record at Old Trafford. In the last few years, it's slightly improved. So I think um, AVB won his first game at Old Trafford, the th- the three two win in twenty twelve. Yep. Uh, Tim Sherwood won his first game at Old Trafford, of course. Uh, the two one in twenty fourteen, and then it actually took Pochettino until his fifth attempt, after what one nil nil draw and three one nil defeats, until they won three nil at the start of last season. I think that, no, they lost all four, didn't they? They lost the first one three nil, I think, and then lost three nil, uh, oh, lost one wow. nil three times in a row, I think. Yeah, you you might well be right. In which case, yes, I, they I, did. Yeah, I've written it down wrong in my notes. Sorry, oh, no. um, but yeah, like it it goes to show that even up until that win that Pochettino had had at the start of last season, Spurs' record there had been rubbish. That that game last season was, I think, almost a bit of a tactical anomaly because that that was a game where Spurs actually did sit behind the ball and try and play on yeah. the counter attack for the most part, which wasn't really how they played in any of those other matches under Pochettino. And quite a lot of those matches. Came, I mean, the there was one in the first day of 2015-16, mm. I don't even remember where Kyle was. Is that the own scored. goal? Yeah, yeah. Kyle oh, yeah, yeah, goal, yeah. yeah. A, a lot of those matches have come at the worst possible time for Spurs. I think there was one where it was just before Christmas where they'd been in quite good form and then they lost. And Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan scored, scored yeah. yeah. And it kind of knocked them out of momentum, probably the only stage in that season, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was somewhere, I think the one where Martial scored in 2017, I think Spurs dominated the whole game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a attack. long ball and Lukaku yeah. flicked it on, wasn't yeah. it? And it's, it's amazing looking back at that 20, at the one from the start of last season, the 3-0 win, just because it at the time it felt like Spurs are on the rise, Spurs are going to have a really good season, United are going to have a Mourinho season. And of course, as it happened, Jose got sacked about three months after this. But if you gone back then and, t- and told somebody at that game, well, Spurs will get to the Champions League, but then sack Pochettino <laughs> and replace him with Mourinho, uh, you would never have believed it. It's kind of, it, it, it's kind of surreal how, how these things have panned out. Well, especially as everyone thought at that time, if there was going to be one of those managers moving to the yeah. other club, it was going to be yeah. Poch going to United at some stage. Exactly, yeah. Which yeah, may yeah, still exactly, happen. Yeah, yeah. As if it was a kind of like... The or, you know people would often describe these games as an audition, right? Mm, and like, yeah, yeah. Would have to prove that he could win at Old Trafford, and only by doing so would he prove that he was worthy of managing Manchester United, which is obviously an incredibly stupid take, and nobody should think like that. But that is often like the kind of the framing that these games were given. Well, the the other irony is that obviously for a long time, and particularly then, there was a lot of fear among Spurs fans that Pochettino would go to manage Manchester United. And now I suspect, given what's happened in the last few days and the, and the rumours we've heard and indeed spread on The Athletic, <laughs> uh, that perhaps actually Pochettino going to Manchester United wouldn't be the worst situation in the world given you know the other options he may or may not have. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that like Mourinho being as high profile as he is and as like fascinating as he is means that Spurs fans might kind of get over the Pochettino sacking a bit more just because there's something... Mourinho is such a big topic to get engaged with. It's a results business, Jack. It's a results business. I mean, I think that that'll be the ultimate test. Is you know, 
be, beating West Ham is is quite a big mm. deal to Spurs fans, but it's it's obviously not the biggest game. Beating Olympiacos and getting through is good. Beating Bournemouth, you know, fine. But going to Old Trafford and getting a result, and as we said, that's not been something that's happened yeah. too many times in, in our lifetimes. Uh, maybe getting a result against Chelsea in uh, two weeks, three weeks' time as well. Those will be the kind of things. I think that Chelsea game in particular is one where you can see where it, that could be the moment where I think it could be a bit of a turning point for him. If Spurs can do well up to that point and then get a result in that game, mm. you can kind of see that that's the game where you can see him you know, running down a touchline, yeah, yeah. giving it all his... But I think they will, Shushing though. the fans. Yeah. I think they will. I'm, I'm kind of bullish about Spurs at the moment just because I think, like, the other teams in their position who they're playing against, like Manchester United and Chelsea, are either, like, a bit naive or a bit, like, badly coached or they're kind of, like, fragile. And there is no one else... There is no... There, There is literally nobody, when it comes to exploiting those kind of fragilities, as good as Mourinho. I think Spurs are going to like really start climbing up through the table, and I think they will. I'm gonna, I'm kind of confident now they will end up getting fourth. Really? Yeah, I've I've always thought they just miss that. Even when you know, kind of the end of the Pochettino, I thought they would recover, and I think they'll get close. I think they'll just miss out, but it will be tight now. It looks like. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the space of a week, that gap to the top four is closed from twelve points to six. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's down to Chelsea dropping points mostly against West Ham. Uh, rather than anything Mourinho's done. But it does tell you how quickly things can change and you only need, you know, the gap to stay the same difference for a couple of months and then Chelsea to have another week like that again and then suddenly mm. you know, it's all to play for. And then on Saturday, Burnley at home. Uh, game Spurs have found pretty hard in the past. Scraped 1-0 last year, drew one all the previous year. That's going to be a different challenge because it's going to be the first time that Jose's going to come up against a very, very like organised, physical, defensive team who are just going to try and take time out of the game and make it difficult for them. Yeah, that's a really awkward game and it's especially awkward after a big game only a few days before. So, you know, the emotional, physical toll I think that United at Old Trafford will take to then have to lift yourselves against a team who will be... I mean, it's it's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, Sean Dyche's team, they are really well organised. They know what they're doing. Last year in that fix, you mentioned, uh, you know, they were wasting time from the first minute. It became this big, you know, it really wound Tottenham up. And, you know, you can see that sort of thing happening again. Um, And they've had a problem with breaking teams down at home, you know, very rarely scoring the first halves of games uh, towards the end of Pochettino's time at home. So uh, an early goal would be massive in that game. Yeah. It's interesting that it took them a few months at Wembley to kind of, get their heads around dealing with those games where, I mean, Burnley were one of, a, one of the first teams to go there to play Spurs and they drew 1-1, I think, one maybe yeah. their second home game of that season. Uh, and they played, as you'd expect, conservatively, kept men behind the ball, didn't take too many risks and ended up coming back from 1-0 down to get the draw. Uh, and it took Spurs, I mean, maybe even into last season to kind of work out a way of consistently grinding out results at Wembley. Uh, and, and again, the Burnley game last season would have been one of those that you'd highlight as one where they eventually got the job done. But it does seem like they've moved into the new stadium and they've kind of got similar problems in, in terms of like finding ways of getting results at home when the opposition are you know, excited to be playing in this stadium for the first time, which I, I, I would assume all of those Burnley players will be. Uh, you know, They're coming to a big ground, playing in front of a big crowd... Teams like that love to frustrate the the bigger and supposedly better teams. Uh, and Burnley are probably, in kind of contemporary Premier League terms, a team that have done that the most often, I'd yeah. say. It feels like they probably are. I mean, they're so well-drilled and so well-organised. And those two guys up front, are, 
re- really good at what they do, and that kind of almost sounds a bit patronising. But no, but they are like uh, re- yeah. wood, wooden barns are amazing. Yeah, I mean, and in the away the game, game last season, exactly. You look yeah, at the I mean, Burnley won. That really was a turning point for Pochettino. I think that game last season where they yeah. both scored, I think, didn't they? And Pochettino lost his mind at the end of the game. Uh, you know, so there's maybe for some of the players a score to settle there. But as you say, I think the biggest challenge is going to be kind of clicking through the gears. If it's if it's a defensive conservative setup on Wednesday night, to then suddenly have to kind of mm. be the team on the front foot and trying to break down a, an eight man defence on Saturday, that has been a, a, you know, it very much has good result on Wednesday, bad result on Saturday written all over it. As far as I can see, that's a very Spurs take. But well, actually, it's interesting you say that because that that Burnley game last year, that really quite almost dire one nil was after the Barca game. Uh, in midweek so Spurs who got the draw there the result they needed and they were on this massive high and then it felt like a real hangover you know Burnley at home it was on a horrible grisly day at Wembley and you know it is hard lifting yourself after a big result if indeed they get one yeah well it's going to be a really big week and then if if Spurs can just get through that then I think the rest of December opens up a little little bit for them Um, but thank you very much indeed to all our listeners for joining us this week thank you to James and Charlie thank you podcast boss Tom Hughes thank you to all the staff here at Soho Radio this podcast is one of 11 shows that has just been launched by The Athletic. There will also be The Ornstein and Chapman Show, where Mark Chapman and David Ornstein get stuck into some of football's biggest stories of the week, including what's going on at Arsenal. To hear that and many more, go to theathletic.com now and subscribe with a 40% discount by using the code UKPOD. Music.